Welcome back to The Long Short. So, over the coming few months, we'll be bringing something a little different. The Perspective Series in partnership with KPMG. This podcast series will feature conversations with leading CEOs and founders of alternative investment firms from around the world. And today, we're excited to share with you one of a series of conversations we've had with them. Our guests share their visions on a variety of areas, including how to attract and retain top talent in the context of the fierce war for talent, as well as how to navigate the increasingly complex operational scaling challenges and much, much more. The discussions have been led by myself, Tom Kyo, co-host of Amos Long Short, and John Budzina, Managing Director and US National Leader for Market Development for Alternative Investments in KPMG. So sit back, we hope you'll enjoy the show, and thank you for joining us. Robin, welcome back to The Long Short. Thank you for having me. And we are particularly pleased to have you feature on our new spin-off series of interviews with CEOs from across the alternative asset management space. Congratulations on your recent appointment stepping up at Man Group to become its new CEO. Thank you. Thank you. It's early days, but uh, I think this is day seven officially. So, Robin, you're a barrister by training and spent the formative years of your career working in various compliance roles within investment banks and investment management firms. How then did you become the CEO of one of the largest public traded hedge funds in the world? It's a great question. Um, it, 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 if I don't know whether this is reassuring or not, but it, it certainly wasn't part of some extraordinarily grand plan. Um, in fact, probably at the beginning of my career, as most people will know, I, I, I didn't have my sights set on finance as um, as a place to end up. Um, as odd as it may sound, really, progression of my career has been. Um, defined really by a series of phone calls, which is um, not great careers advice. Um, as, you, as you said, I started out as a barrister and I was really focusing on a common law sort of version of life. So criminal defense and some civil cases in some of the higher courts of the land. Um, but I set my sights. I, I thought maybe I shouldn't be in that area of the bar and maybe I should be at the commercial bar. And so I sort of said, well, I know I'll I'll go and do this thing called commerce. I'll do this thing called business. Um, and in doing so, I ultimately, I, I answered an, a newspaper advertisement when when such a thing existed um, and found myself at a, a round-robin interview at Fidelity. Um, and they offered me a job. And my idea was, well, I'll get some experience in business and then I will go back to the commercial bar. But instead, I got a phone call to go and interview for a job at Life, which I got. And then when I was at Life, I got a in- call to go and interview for a job at this, this investment bank called Lehman Brothers um, in London. Um, and I got that job. And they asked me to go to Tokyo for a couple of years or so. And then they asked me to go to New York. And and then I joined Georgie. And, and actually, the truth of the matter is I, I just never went back. I never went back to the bar. I just got suckered in by this extraordinary area of the world of finance. And it is, it's such a pleasure to be surrounded by so many smart people and to be at the forefront of so many things that I never really looked back. So I, I, my, my career has been one of taking opportunities of looking at something and saying I could help that or I could fix that and I find myself in the role of CEO because I've just enjoyed being part of this world I guess and and have learned throughout my entire career um, being based in different places and in different parts of the financial services world. And am I right in saying then that you are the first female CEO at Man Group? Man Group goes back over 200 years. And and in a double coup for Man, you've also just appointed your first female chair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, tell me right. Anne Wade will take over um, before the end of this year, having joined the Man Group board as a non-exec in April of 2020. So, yep, there you have it. Um, after only a couple of hundred years um, (laughs) (laughs) being founded by the Mann family, we now are being led by two women. Um, 
it's it's a great time for the industry. I, I it, there is no doubt that Anne and I bring different perspectives. Um, she too came up into the through the financial services world. Um, I think we it's a tremendous honour to be leading a firm that's been around for this long, um, and it's great that we're now reflecting um, perhaps you know half the population. Um, both in our, you know, in the real world, but also with our clients and with investors and so on and so forth. So, yep, spot on. Yeah, well, we all at AIMA really and KPMG salute Man Group and their efforts to shift the dial on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we will we will touch on that again later. Um, but for the benefit of those who don't know what Man Group is, who you are, it'd be great for you to provide an overview of the firm's strategy, its investment strategy. Yeah, sure. So let me start by saying that Man Group doesn't have one defining investment strategy. We're a firm that's made up of now, and and on the day of this recording, we just um, closed a deal uh, for our sixth investment engine, which is uh, a middle market lending manager, private credit. So I'll talk a little bit about that. But we're made up of six investment engines, all with a slightly different focus area and discipline, but all belonging to one single operating platform. Um, and and it, those those engines are encouraged. In fact, we think it's, um, it's part and parcel of who we are to collaborate, to cross-pollinate ideas, views, um, and capabilities. We're a firm that's increasingly focused also on providing solutions to clients, and I'll touch on that in a minute. So we have two systematic investment engines, Man Numeric and Man AHL. Man Numeric is our fundamental quant manager. It offers long only an alternative investment strategy and invests across both equity and credit markets. Man AHL is our more, I guess, traditional quant manager. Its heritage is in CTAs and trend following. And as you probably know, over the last 30 or so years, it's become much broader than that. It's now a diversified systematic manager that does everything from multi-strat, trend, alternative trend to long only and through target risk. On the discretionary side, there's ManGLG, which is how I joined in effect back in 2009. ManGLG has both alternative and long-only investment strategies invest across multiple asset classes, traditional discretionary style. And then there's our fund of funds and managed accounts business, MAN FRM, which provides an open architecture, full service offering to clients, um, ranging for some advisory work to customized and commingled portfolio solutions, as well as a technologically advanced managed account platform. Then on the private side, we have Man GPM, which focuses on resi, real estate, and private credit. And this includes impact-focused strategies like community housing or net zero homes, as well as credit risk sharing and direct lending. And as at today, we've acquired and closed on Barragan, Man Barragan, a private credit business based in the US um, that is focused on middle market um, lending and really excited about that addition to the, the Man family. But as I said, we really see ourselves as a solutions provider, not not a product pusher. And Man Solutions is the kind of the business unit that oversees a lot of that. So over two thirds of our AUM, Tom, is in mandates that are customized in some ways. And that's what our clients want more and more. The investment outlook is is obviously challenging. and We'll talk about that later. But for us, being relevant translates into delivering solutions for our clients, customized solutions that penetrate and drive through strategy, product, structural risk, liquidity barriers to solve the specific investment challenges, problems, issues that an investor faces in their own portfolio. So Robin, what you've described appears to be a little like a multi-strat business, a quant business, a real estate business, and a private credit business. They're all very different. How do you think about these business lines and and their ability to meet investor expectations to deliver returns and preserve capital as well? Um, Well, yes, (laughs) in short. Um, And and by the way, I'm I'm delighted that you've characterized in that way because I think you're spot on. We have, I think we have such diverse expertise. It's what allows us to be relevant to clients 
throughout market cycles. You know, the aim here for active managers is to deliver alpha irrespective of the direction of the prevailing market. But obviously, different investment cycles lend themselves to better or lend themselves better to certain types of strategies than they do others. Um, and, and we have to take into account clients' portfolios as well. They're invested in multiple different places. And, and how do we fit into that? We have enough, I suppose, ingredients in the larder that we can help create a balanced portfolio. So how how do we do that? We, we form deep relationships with partnerships um, and, and partnerships with our clients. You, when I think about, let me do it by way of example, oh, oh, 25 of our largest in clients invest in an average of over four of our strategies. And that's because we have so many different things, content that we can offer them through one platform. It also means that we can build more bespoke, impactful solutions specifically for them. And and I think, as I said earlier, that's what clients are looking for more and more. We're, We're part of um, we're part of uh, that trusted space to help them navigate markets or issues they're facing. Um, and it's incredibly useful um, to us to have investment experts that think in different ways. It means we can tackle a problem with multiple inputs. So that's that point I was talking about just slightly earlier about encouraging collaboration, sharing ideas across engines, having our discretionary business be able to leverage insights and techniques from quant, for example. They don't compete with one another, they enrich one another. And I think that's what's important to the success of man and in turn the success that we can hopefully bring to our clients. And so what do you see as being the major headwind and tailwind for, for man and other market participants to contend with it at this moment in time? <laughs> uh, listen, I, you know, I, despite traditional analysis, meaning that I, I don't know how many very, very capable um, forecasters, economic forecasters have been forecasting recessions for a long time, you know, the, the, and, and yet they haven't, they haven't resulted just yet. I, I think there are definitely headwinds and I think there are some compelling reasons for people to be bearish out there tighter financial conditions you you know we have had an interest in an inflation shock last year Um, clearly there's complacency a little bit in the market about the stability of inflation and interest rates more generally this disruption you hurt traditional assets that were synchronously priced. So both sets of traditional assets where you'd ordinarily see them, your bonds being cheaper to equities, for example, not the case. That hurt. You saw the stress in the spring around US regional banking um, and the data from that showing lending standards tightening, um, which ordinarily would be a bad sign for growth. You can see stress in the real estate sector. Data is showing that more than $1.4 trillion in the US of corporate real estate loans will mature by 2027. Something like $270 billion coming due this year. You've got geopolitical issues, the war in Ukraine, obviously another factor adding a layer of difficulty to supply chains and, and, and having an impact on energy. China's COVID measures impact its equity markets, which had further reaching implications. Um, COVID has changed the way that markets and sectors operate. You've seen, and we are seeing, that sort of sense that instead of a crescendo somehow of, of recession, you're seeing rolling parts of recession impact at different points. You're seeing parts of manufacturing definitely in recession, but thanks to legislation in the US and Europe, by the way, you're seeing a boost in investment in some domestic energy production with manufacturing in in those sectors, thinking semiconductors, for example, and the manufacture of semiconductors being 80% up year on year. So there is some really strange and difficult and different times. You know, uh, the environment has changed 
really beyond recognition for some people. Um, we are in an interesting political environment. I, you know, I was reading the other day, I think it's something like half the population of the world will be in countries where there will be elections, where there'll be political change, and of which, you know, in the next year or 18 months, of which the US and the UK are part of that. Um, working patterns have changed, and that's having impact on real estate. The, the, the bottom line is that these things are very difficult, different spaces for us to all navigate, and how to manage that change. What I think is clear is we are in an interest rate inflationary environment. We are going to see, I think, volatility. With volatility, we probably are going to see dispersion. Um, and quite frankly, that's where we as active asset managers should be stepping in. Good managers, skilled managers will need to navigate all of these things to help their clients. And that's what we should be doing. We, sh we should be leaning in and helping, but it's not straightforward. So this is now the time for active asset management to step up. So with that in mind then, and we've already talked about the man group business counts for, give or take, $150 billion in assets under management across the six core business lines that you've described. How do you think about generating alpha opportunities, given that you've just described the challenge that investors have right now in being able to get returns, particularly in the environment that we have where interest rates are 5% plus? How do you think about generating alpha? And also, as you look to grow the business, which is, like I said, a $150 billion business, to what extent do you think alpha then is scalable? Great question. How do we think about it? I think we're always seeking out alpha sources, but I should probably start by saying we're a business that focuses on that first and foremost, alpha generation, risk-adjusted alpha capture. But we would never grow a business at the expense of alpha generation as well. We have strict capacity constraints in a number of strategies to to prevent alpha decay. We have discipline is what I suppose I'm trying to say. The good thing is that we don't think we have to um, scale back. We think alpha, if it's done right, is scalable. We have a single operating and very sophisticated tech platform. And that means we can generate, deliver alpha and portfolio solutions at scale for some of the world's largest investors. Um, we can execute larger volumes. Um, trade a huge number of markets, let's say over 800, I think was my last count, and trade basically 24-7 because we have made an investment in our capabilities, not just in alpha capture, but in the ability to scale through the organization. Um, we will continue to look for ways to add new alpha sources, whether by bringing in new teams or investment capabilities that are complementary to that that we do today. And we'll do that organically through innovation, through seeding strategies, or we will do so in inorganic formats. And, and like we have just done today with Varagon. For us, this is about continuing to move forward, to continue to innovate, to continue to push ourselves to be better and to find more sources more effectively and to not decay alpha and not to give alpha away through our own processes. That's what's key to us. And to be able to talk to clients, like I said before, in not just being about a single product push, but about being a provider of solutions to portfolio challenges that our clients face. We can't have Alpha without having the very, very best people. How does, how does man think about fostering, retaining, and hiring the best talent for your firm? Well, like, like other firms, we spend a lot of time thinking about talent because it's our most important asset. You know, the combination of talent and tech have been the recurring theme for us over the last few years. 
And we really do spend a lot of time on this. It, it matters to us. So what do we think, what, what, you, you, you know, what do we think that we have to do? You have to be invested in building a world-class culture and you don't build it once, you build it every day. Um, if you build the right culture, you can hire great people and you hire the best people who can work in your firm together for really the single purpose of servicing your clients to be the best you can be. Our culture, very much focused on collaboration. Open architecture is the way that our tech folk would talk about it. We talk about that in the way that we operate generally across the firm. We want people to speak up. Um, why? Because I think, and we all think that ideas come from everywhere in our organization, not just for me or from the executive committee of the firm. So collaboration, speaking up critical for us, making people feel welcome, valued, heard, um, respected is, in, is an important tenant for us. Um, we don't set each other to compete with one another. We set people together to make us better. Nothing replaces performance. So a drive for performance, a, it, it is a necessity. It's what is important to us. And we come in every single day to ensure that we return value to our clients. And we use everything at our, 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 within our capability to empower people. And that's the technology piece. You know, we have over 600 quants and technologists. Technology is, is part of the DNA of the organization. We want everyone to be thinking about how tech can make them better at what they do. And that, that, that isn't just within our quant spaces. This is at every part of the organization. We have our own develop program, our own program where we skill people up in Python. And that is from, you know, HR and legal as much as it is trading and portfolio management. You can't have great people unless you're, if you're, you know, prepared to pay them. So that's for sure. Let's give that as a given. But you've also got to ensure that you're supporting people through their lives. And, and that goes to your benefits, but it goes to your culture of flexing. You know, people are at different stages and need different things at different points in their own growth and development. Um, so we invest in people from a talent perspective. We want to ensure that we grow people, that we nurture them, that we ensure that they can be the very best they can be in our organization. And that's both in how we think about their well-being, benefits, community networks, flexible working, but it goes to values. It's about charitable giving. It's about volunteering days and it's about career growth and opportunities. So that investment in how you develop as an individual and as a person and your core skills. So we do that. We also think about how we attract people into this organization. There are lots and lots of very, very smart people there, but we look for something that's different. We want to have that hunger, that interest, that knowledge, that thirst for growth. High performers transcend disciplines. That's the truth of it. So we, are, we hire with a view to long-term investment. We hire with a view to seeing people grow through their careers at the firm. And that's a pleasure. That's, that's a, something that the management team here enjoy seeing. We enjoy that. And then ultimately, we want difference. It is, it is about having people in an organization that can challenge one another, that have different perspectives, and that can come from um, a different background, a different culture, a different gender, just difference. And it's about enriching the team. That's incredibly important to us. So when you, when you think about it as a package, we... We attack it from many different angles because people are multifaceted and so is the firm. But we put an effort on this front every single day. This is not something we think about passively at all. Let me put this question to you. Um, in, in recent weeks, we have seen several comments from the banking and asset management industry calling for staff to return to the office and work from home less. 
Um, so you just talked about that life-work balance and the importance of that life-work balance. So what are your views then? Do you, do you feel that pressure building then to have staff return more to the office, work less? Is there an optimum working approach? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. I think that we, we approach it in a, in an as usual, in a way that is nuanced. For us, we are seeing, you know, we did our best guess at what we thought it would be like to return um, post-COVID. Um, and we did we did all right, like a lot of people. What we are certainly seeing is that some areas benefit enormously from having more contact time in an office. And we see some areas that, quite frankly, are operating really, really well in, with a more agile approach. I think there's a danger in having a single approach to these things. We have seen the benefits of agility um, and we've also seen the downsides of people not being in an office working together. Um, Interestingly, generationally, where people might have guessed that um, younger generations, newer generations into our industry would love the agility. In fact, we saw something quite different from that. Likewise, we saw um, you, we saw some areas saying that they that they missed enormously being back creating and hearing from one another in a quant space. And we have facilitated people coming back into an office more than perhaps we might have guessed they'd have wanted to. We've also seen, we also opened our eyes though to the ability to hire differently. So COVID gave us capabilities to go into different markets and different spaces and hire different people. And I don't want to give that up um, because it makes us better at what we do. So I, I, I kind of think about it this way. We spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy hiring really smart, capable individuals. We empower them to do the best job they can. We skill them up. We provide them with the tools they need to be better every single day at what they do. I also have a trust in those employees and certainly in my management team to then make the the assessments about the best ways to work. And so for me, a a top-down single answer to this is wrong. The right answer to this is having an organization full of highly qualified and excellent people who are driving to the single goals of putting our clients at the center of what we do and and seeking out alpha and providing value, skilling people to do that and trusting them that they know how to do that in the best way possible. Um, And so I think at the moment we're doing our very best at navigating that. But if people are asking or thinking I'm going to come down with a, a single view that everybody must be in the office five days a week, that's not where I'm at. Refreshing. Um, so let's reflect a little bit on on the hiring that you've mentioned and the recent experience and being able to draw on not just our industry, but other industries. So what then does an ideal junior analyst look like to you? Where does man look for these candidates? You know, what, is, it, is it inside the industry, outside the industry? I guess it's both. But how difficult is it to secure them, given all the competing interests that are out, out there? Um, actually, we have not too much difficulty in finding junior talent. Um, I, I think that we look for personal attributes alongside, um, obviously, these highly qualified. I, I do worry sometimes that um, were I to be uh, interviewed now or, or had to qualify for my own roles I might not make it um so so maybe there's 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 about there's something about recognizing that um we're we're interested in both traditional disciplines or qualifications that might get you you through the door but also in the non-traditional as well we are interested in people who's who are hungry talented interested different we're, we look for direct knowledge, transferable knowledge. We're looking for the long-term investment in people. It, it's not about achieving a return from an employee necessarily day one. It's seeing people 
enter and growing them? What are the raw ingredients? That that's it's a hard thing to put, you know, specific requirements. You don't tick the boxes. Um, but we value recruiting individuals who bring different worldviews and experiences and backgrounds. We want that reflected. There are a ton of great young candidates. There's a, a ton of energized individuals out there. Um, we see a lot. We're very lucky in some ways that we see a lot, but it's important that they have the additional bits, that bit that is beyond the tick box exercise. It's something that's energy, resilience, difference, challenge, a willingness to flex. Um, and perhaps people who understand that the journey here, the experience is as important as you know the title or the this or the that that you sometimes get. Um, the people who succeed at man are the people who throw themselves in to, to doing more than, whatever that more than looks like. So there you go. I hope that helps. KPMG is a global professional services firm providing audit, tax, and advisory services to many of the world's leading alternative investment management firms. To address the specific challenges and opportunities unique to alternative investments, KPMG has dedicated practitioners focusing on hedge fund, private equity, and real estate organizations. Our professionals devote their time to provide innovative and strategic solutions to alternative investment managers in areas ranging from strategy to operational and compliance functions. Through the knowledge of the industry leading practices and customized technology systems, they provide advice and support that deliver value to these organizations and their investors. For more information, please visit kpmg.com. We're starting to see the older hedge fund generation retire with some of the leading industry personalities stepping down or announcing their intention to do so over the past year. Arguably, man's group success is its continued evolution over the past 200 years. Are we approaching a generational change for the industry? Um, listen, as you say, a lot of the industry has been dominated by these very large, successful private hedge fund houses. Um, and, and they've historically been very reliant on a single investment manager or, you know, quite small teams. I'm not sure it's a new thing. You know, I think it's been happening for a while. Soros, Robertson, you know, a few of those. And succession plan has been something that hedge funds have always really had to deal with. Um, I think really the the generational change in the industry, I think, is about technology, truly. I think it's technology and AI and data in investment management. Yet what we are, what I can see for sure is that the days of managing your alpha by picking up a phone and navigating a spreadsheet are gone, right? That's the stuff that's gone for good. And that's a huge change. So, you know, turning to your point around succession, we're, we are prudent. We're a listed business. We have real succession planning. I think, you know, before I actually officially took the role um, on the 1st of September, I, I was already having discussions with the board about my succession planning. I, it's almost the number one thing that we talked about. Um, and I think it's incredibly important. We are a business that is not about me. It's not about the current CEO. It's about being a custodian in some ways and making sure that I grow this business and it is around, if it can be, for the next 240 odd years that it's been in existence. Um, that does feel different, but we are committed to being part of generation after generation. We sit here, I sit here with a firm that is tech driven. You know, I talked about the numbers earlier. This is a firm that is more than invested in. It's been using AI for 14 years. This, this, we, we can talk about chat GBT later, I'm sure, but this is something we embrace. This is 
that generational change is embedded within an organization like Man Group. And so from my perspective, we, we, we look different and we feel like our clients in some ways, you know, that intergenerational piece that I match the maturity profile of pension funds, annuities, endowments that are having to think about returning value to their clients today, or indeed thinking about my son's retirement in 40, 50 years from now. So, so man matches that. That's the difference in pulling out some of that, those questions is I think you've got generational change with tech and you've got intergenerational maturity or maturation, duration in the way that a firm like Man Group operates, which is different from perhaps those single owner hedge funds that, you know, have been such an extraordinary part of the development of the industry. So let's pivot then and talk about the megatrends and, and you've, you've mentioned it already, which is AI. And if I can get your thoughts on, on particularly generative AI, which really seems to have been over the past year anyway, the most disruptive trend, everybody's talking about it. Um, and there's paranoia and excitement about it in, in equal measure. But how, how do you think then chat GPT, open AI, generative AI can benefit the alternative investment industry? For sure, it's the big tech story of the year. Perhaps it's the big tech story forever. You know, it's it's that big. It's, um, I, I think it's, for us anyway, we think it has major potential. Major potential, specifically to increase research efficiency and to help human beings upskill. Um, it's a little early really to speak about its investment impact. Um, and you know, we should think about risk. There are definitely risks out there. Um, do I think it ruins investing? Do I think, you know, do, do I, do I worry that it's going to somehow replace quant? I don't think so. I think the successful use of disruptive technology like this is dependent on great AI management. It's a tool, right? So asking the right questions, pointing it at the right data sources, being able to clearly explain how it's being integrated into your investment research, understanding what it's giving you back and being able to critically assess its value. Um, ensuring proper privacy parameters in place. All of those things that, that are about um, effective, responsible use of this tool, powerful tool, I think is important. But it is an extraordinary, it has extraordinary capability. Um, and it will enable, I think, human capabilities, our skills. We can find more sources potentially of alpha. We can point it at more data. We can point it at new sources and assess them quicker, faster. But we can also use it to co-pilot coding. We, we can enable ourselves to be smarter and better. And for me, that's, and by the way, for every technologist and everyone I talk to at Man Group who can't wait, can't stop using ChatGPT because they just enjoy it too much. But that sense of being able to be smarter and better at what we do so that everyone in this firm can focus on proper alpha generation, at every part of the organization, that's really, really exciting. So I think over the next two or three years, we're going to probably expect large language model technology to change the way we interact in pretty much every space and in every place. Um, but that's a good thing. And I think it's a good thing so long as you keep in mind that you should be using it as a tool, not letting it drive you. Yeah, humans are not quite being replaced by robots. We're not quite at that stage yet. Um, and I read recently that you've launched ManGPT. Um, can, can you talk us through how you how you think about using that proprietary um, GPT how you're leveraging it across the man group? Yeah, sure, for sure. And and let me take you a step back from it. We've been investing heavily in technology for many years now in the realm of, let's call it $100 million per year for many years. 
And that we think is key to our competitive advantage. It's it's hard for others to catch up when you've been investing um, significantly for many, many years. I think the other piece is we've been investing not just within um, the front office, that quant piece, but actually we've been investing throughout the organization, right? So back to providing scale. That scale comes because you build in your middle office, you build in your back office, you build in your capability of of doubling your trading and not feeling the pain of it. So first and foremost, the, the, the background here is about a huge investment in technology. And, and that, you know, we, we are well known for quant investing, but tech therefore goes beyond that. Um, and that, that, that's reflected in data science. It's reflected in trading. It's reflecting in execution. It's reflected in discretionary business where we are able to analyze discretionary trading or investing and say, where do we, where could you do better? Where are the holes in that theory? And apply that to it. We apply it to, if you think about the number of reports that our sell side colleagues produce um, and the ability to interrogate. If we, I, I, could, I, I could not get to all of those reports and read them personally. Being able to put technology to work there, to be able to search through those reports for key terms, key things, we do that today. It's extraordinarily enabling. So we see technology more broadly and AI specifically as a fundamental tool and capability for innovation. Um, and that's something that, you know, our man GPT allows people to play within a quite a safe environment and place perhaps the wrong word, but to put it to work, to explore its capability in a place where we have control over the data and control out uh, around the output. And that's important. We look to align in essence the latest technology with our underlying philosophies. It's about saying it, it, that the application of technology should enhance and complement what we do, not allow the technology to, to, do, to, to drive it the other way around, as it were. Um, and I think that's what's important. So we think it has the power to grow revenue. It has the ability to make our people more productive, more effective, more engaged. And that's exciting for us. Robin, I'd be remiss of me not to, to mention this, but anyone who knows you will be aware of the work you you do to raise awareness about D&I issues across the alternative investment industry, not least um, by chairing um, AMA's DEI steering committee, and you last spoke to us on the long short in in March 2022. And if I may quote you, you said at the time that you were uh -oh. <laughs> indeed you were cautiously <laughs> optimistic about the direction of travel, um, and that the industry should hold itself accountable with challenging but achievable empirical targets, much like hedge funds do for any other aspect of their business. And this is about DEI. And since then, I think it's fair to say that ESG and by extension, DEI has become slightly less dominant given all the you know, prevailing market conditions out there. So question I ask you is, do you feel that the alternative investment industry is still maintaining that trajectory? Certainly in the case of Man Group, we salute you, as I say. But do you think the wider industry is maintaining its trajectory and improving diversity and welcoming talent from all corners. And is there anything that you would like to do now in your new role as CEO to contribute to this movement? This is a challenge. It continues to be a challenge. Um, and our industry and more broadly financial services just shouldn't lose focus on this. I've said before as well that one of the, the things about diversity and equity inclusion is the need for resilience. Um, you need to keep going. You can't stop. You, 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 you know, we're going to have downtimes. We're going to have periods where other things dominate, but we just cannot lose focus on the importance of having difference in our industry. It makes us better. So, do I think the trajectory is 
heading in the right direction? Yeah. Do I think it's slow progress? Yes. Um, do I think that more people are talking about equity, inclusion, difference than I've ever seen before? Is it part of our staple conversation? Is it part of um, pretty much everybody's agenda on the street who wants to progress and innovate? Yes. Um, I see way more collaboration than I've ever seen across the sell side and the buy side. I see far more accountability when people are walking through your offices from institutional clients saying, what's your diversity look like? Where's your inclusion? What are your initiatives? I have far more conversations than I even did before with next generation on what diversity looks like. I see more benefits and well-being um, packages and policies being introduced to firms that reflect um, the importance of difference and diversity. I see more and more capability around neurodiversity and those people with disability having uh, being considered in our offices and their access. So I think the conversations are more real. I think there is more willingness. I think there's more knowledge. I think we are better at having more informed conversations. I think all of those things are true, and yet progress is still slow. And that is because it's a it's an ugly issue, and it's hard to change something like this overnight. But we are investing in next generations and we are all talking at schools and we are I hope becoming a place where people can feel that their values are reflected in our organizations and I think we've got to continue to have this at the forefront of our conversations um, so slow progress cautiously optimistic I'm very stubborn on this, Tom. I got to tell you, you know, I, I'm I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I am relentless. I think we have to we have to walk the walk. We have to talk the talk. We have to hold ourselves accountable. And I don't feel like I'm doing enough, and that we are doing enough as a in, as an industry. And that feels uncomfortable. I'm surrounded by some of the smartest people in the world in this industry. I cannot believe that we can't crack this. We crack really difficult issues and problems. We come together to do a tremendous job. We are responsible and the custodians for millions and millions of pensioners. We do difficult things. We can do better here and we should. So Robin, we've asked everyone sort of on a scale of one to five and, and five being the most optimistic how optimistic are you about the hedge fund industry over the coming five years when, when you're thinking about delivering for, for your clients? Where do you see the biggest industry opportunities or the biggest tailwinds for hedge funds and alternative investments over the coming five years? I suppose we, we sort of, this question goes right to the beginning of our conversation. I'm very optimistic. What does that make that? It's a five, something like that. Very optimistic. Let's let's do a five. It's a definitely four or five, but let's go five, right? We'll give you five. And, I, and I, the reason I say that is because we have to rise to this challenge. Investors have never needed um, more diversifying sources of risk-adjusted returns as they do today. They are facing economic markets and macro environment that is different from that that we've seen for a very long time. Um, this is challenging. We have different themes than we've ever had to navigate before. Um, and we've got to find um, sources and work harder to produce outperformance um, in a way that we, again, haven't had to or haven't been able to or whatever those right words are. But that's what we need to be. As an active investment manager, it's our, it's our job, quite frankly. And it's hard. Um, you, we have risk-free rates in cash that are, are, are we have to beat. You know, if you're getting four and a half percent or five percent risk-free, where do we fit in that? How do we do better than that? Um, we have 
tighter liquidity potentially in some spaces. Um, we have geopolitical issues. We have volatility. We have dispersion. We have to manage through those times. And so you know, we have idiosyncratic risks. We have structural changes. We, so we have to. Um, we have to help our clients here. Um, we have to be part of the solution. So in some ways, never, you know, in the last 10 years or so, I think this is the most exciting time for active investment managers to step in and help. That's what we're here to do. So I am positive. I think it's an incredibly important time for the, for the alt space and, and the asset management space more broadly. Um, I think diversification is going to be key. I think being able to understand your client needs is going to be key. I think being able to understand portfolio risks, correlation risks, liquidity risks, exposure risks is going to be key. I think you're seeing a denomination effect between passive and between private equity. Um, and we're seeing a slowdown in the ability for some of the private equity funds to raise new funds. We're seeing that, not surprisingly. Um, I think liquid alts, which has suffered um, from new money or lack of new money in the last few years, this is the time where I think liquid alts are going to be an important part of institutional portfolios. Robin, many thanks again for joining us today and sharing your fascinating insights with our listeners. We eagerly anticipate as to what's going to happen next at Man Group under your stewardship. Um, me too, in some ways, I guess. Listen, it's, you know, for, for me, I think there's... There's just huge opportunity ahead. I've been privileged to work with um, Luke Ellis and Manny before him. Um, I've been part of the management team here at Man Group. We are and have a great firm here, and I'm lucky to benefit from having some extraordinary people to work with, not just my executive committee, but so many people within the organization. So it's a privilege to be in the spot I'm in. I take the responsibility tremendously seriously. Um, and I think the opportunity ahead of us for as an industry, but as a firm, is quite extraordinary. So I hope I hope I do everyone proud in this one. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Perspectives, done in partnership with KPMG and part of Amos, the Long Short Podcast. We trust you found the discussion both interesting and insightful. You can get the latest episodes by subscribing to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, or streaming directly from AMA.org. Thanks for listening.